I want to talk about the Brothers Karamazov with you. It is one of my favorite books. It really quickly rose to a top spot of one of my all-time favorite books to read. And while I was reading it, I was loving the experience so deeply. It was such a pleasurable read and so fulfilling to read that I almost didn't want to waste talking about it. I was like, I, I just wanted to keep reading and reveling in the beauty of that story and of the wisdom, the incredible wisdom of that book. And then once it's done, it's sort of such a monumental read that a mere mortal is, you know, sort of challenged by the idea of talking about it. Like, where do I even start? How do you talk about this book? But this is one of the books that we keep privately talking about or referencing back to its greatness. And even recently, you brought this up, and I had this on my mind as well, that this is a book that we will read again fairly soon. Although it's a monumental, like it's a big book. It's a, I don't know, like another 40-hour read. It's not a small book. It is by far my favorite Dostoevsky book. I'm just trying to get through Demons, and I'm having a very difficult time. Fucking The Idiot was a great book. It had some rough patches, but all in all, I thought it was a pretty good book. Crimes and Punishment was also very difficult and painful to read at times, not because it was difficult to follow the plot or something, just because of how tormented the main character was, and I was following in that torment. So it was not fun to read, but it was a great book. But The Brothers Karamazov, from the get-go, was so delightful, so fun, the characters, the plot, the conflicts, so engaging. And the book was so filled with just deep nuggets of wisdom. Just this incredible piece of wisdom. And we have talked about the book on the podcast in the episode where we were like, what was the name of the episode? This has been tried, this is proven, or something along those lines, which is the only episode where we talked about love the entire time. It was inspired by this character in the Brothers Karamazov by Father Zosima, who's like an all-time favorite character of mine now. Like one of the sweetest, wisest characters that ever appeared, fictional characters that ever appeared in a book. So now that some time has passed and my love is still very deep, I want to talk a little bit about what makes this book so great. I think one, obviously, is that it is tackling very big, very kind of difficult topics. It does tackle religion and spirituality. It does tackle love. It does tackle family. It definitely tackles, like, definitely tackles self-deception and lies and the conflict and the difficulty that accumulates as people are not honest with themselves and each other. So it has very big themes and deep wisdom in it, but it's also very delightful just the way it's written, the dialogues, the conflicts, the despicableness of some of the characters. It's just fun and delightful to read. So here's the plot of the story. You have a father that's a terrible father, right? Might be, uh, you know, historically bad father in the, the books of literature. This is a dad that's like selfish, terrible to these women that he's been with and a drunk and a gambler and definitely somebody that's like sleeping around like crazy with anyone and everyone he can get. Abandons the kids. And then when at some point they show up, he's almost like, oh, yeah, I have sons. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of like kind of inconvenienced by it, but then tries to see if he can get some personal benefit out of it. He will 
fucking like uh, you know trick his own sons out of part of their inheritance, and he he's just like the most despicable father ever. And he's also very in a horrendous way very loud about how much of a liar and a cheat and an idiot he is. So everywhere he goes, he claims it. He says it out loud to everybody. Oh, I'm an idiot and I love to play the buffoon. The buffoon. And he's someone that nobody respects. He's somebody that everybody looks down upon and he plays off that. He walks into these saloons and bars and, and plays public places and plays it up like how much of a buffoon and idiot he is. And he has some sort of sick delight light in that role and that character and that reputation that he has accumulated. But he's very good with money. Somehow he's like very greedy and very clever with money. So he has money and he has establishments and he has like, he owns shit, right? Which gives him a sort of the power to walk around, be a buffoon and still eat and drink everywhere and have a name. People know him and also constantly have these love affairs and these love relations. And he has three legitimate sons. Right. The oldest son is from his first, I don't even know if it was his wife or one woman. And then the other two sons are from another woman. And the first son basically never saw him and he went off to some other foreign land and then to the military or something like that. And the other two sons as well, he's a bit closer to, but also not too close. The oldest of these two, so the middle son is sort of a more intellectual, very prideful son, very kind of learned the youngest one is the one cynical also. Very cynical, an atheist. You know, the one that's kind of very, very cynical, very learned, very studied, very stoic. The oldest who was brought up abroad is sort of this military ruffian, like this loudmouth, what you see is what you get, kind of very rough, very dominant, very strong, but, you know, not very political or, you know, careful character. And then the youngest son is sort of the, the hero of the story to some degree. He's sort of the sensitive, the loving, the innocent one. And he's also the one that, early taste kind of the path of the monk, you know, and in his days in the monastery. The purest person. Yeah, he's the purest of, of them all for sure. There's also a fourth son that's never really acknowledged as the son or a son, but is maybe the most despicable manifestation of one of these children that this man fathered because there was this crazy lady in town. It was sort of a homeless, mentally insane lady, always really dirty, always sort of, you know, the herself a little bit and maybe or maybe not there's rumors that one drunken night you know a bunch of guys saw her like in a ditch you know maybe out of her mind and said you know made some sort of challenge that nobody could sleep with her and maybe the father Karamazov took it up on himself to rise to the occasion of this challenge. We don't know, but it's very likely that's what happened because, you know, nine months later, she is super sick and just falls over the, whatever it's called, the wall around the property of the father and gives birth in the ditch and then dies. Right? And why did you come to his house to give birth to this child just before dying? And so he takes the child upon him and they turn the child to sort of a servant, right? And he's like the servant of the house. And the other brothers and everybody in town sort of know that yeah it's the servant but probably is also the son of him but nobody ever really acknowledges that in any way so there's three official sons one unofficial they're all under one roof and there's this big conflict that happens in the main storyline because the oldest son is in love with this woman although he's 
promised himself to like this young noble girl, this this not so noble girl that he's really deeply in love with and wants to be with. But the father is also in love with her. And there's this battle between father and son on who's going to get this woman that's, you know, that everybody in town hates, which is very unnoble lady. And so all the sons are coming together to, at first to resolve this conflict. But then within that conflict, there's a million other conflicts that are popping up. Conflicts about money, inheritance, you know, all sorts of stuff is going on. And finally, the father's being killed. It looks most obviously that it's the oldest son who was constantly telling everybody he's going to kill his father. He's at this scene of the crime. All, everything points to him. But he obviously did not kill him. Somebody else killed him. And so the, the book is about figuring out what really happened. And then when you figure out what really happened, how that will unfold. Like, will the truth ever come out or not? Who will pay for this murder or not? Who has a guilt for this, which is a very interesting question because so many people are guilty for this. Most guilty, maybe the father himself for getting him, himself killed. But then, you know, the illegitimate son is the one that does the murder, but only because he thought the intellectual, cynical, atheist son was approving of it, although that son was maybe deep down subconsciously approving of it but was never really allowing his conscious mind to acknowledge that that was what they were talking about and then when it turns out he sort of goes crazy you have the oldest son who went there to kill him who had all the intentions of killing him and just out of a fluke in a split second decided not to kill him but almost murdered another servant that he loved an old servant of the house so he could have easily been a murderer of somebody there's a lot of blame to go around then there's the woman that both the father and the oldest son were in love with. She has a tremendous amount of guilt because she was having fun egging on father and son against each other and was hating the position she was in and why they wanted her and how they wanted her. There's the other lady that the oldest son was spoken to, but then sort of wanted to leave for this affair. She also has her hands in all these affairs and some guilt because she was in love with the intellectual brother and was was not upfront about that. And I mean, it's this crazy family web of intrigue, of jealousy, of guilt, of hatred, and ultimately of love, but also of, you know, a, a great crime that at the end, a son killed his father and all the sons wished death upon their father. And the town tries to figure out, you know, who to blame and how to wrap up the story. And ultimately, Almost everyone involved in it is ending in a bad place, except the youngest son, Alyosha, who is the most innocent one out of all of them, who's the one that's in most earnest all times trying to stop the catastrophe from happening. And it's just not within his power to do so. It's also the one that in this incredible world of lies where everyone is full of lies, there are lies they tell because they want to deceive others. And then there's all these lies they tell because they don't know themselves or they don't want to hear the truth themselves. So they're telling themselves all these lies. And Alyosha is this beautiful, innocent, childlike person that tells everyone the truth and to whom people have moments of radical candor, like where just his mere presence, the way he listens, the brutal honesty he displays towards them, but always with tenderness and love is so disarming, so opening that they will blurt out some truth to him that they wouldn't tell anybody else or up until that moment didn't realize themselves and but you can also follow his life story of 
at first, you know, going to this monastery and wanting to live this very, you know, simple, stoic and, you know, spiritual life kind of disconnected from earth. And then his spiritual father is telling him, hey, no, you have to do some work in the real world. You need to help your family. So he goes back into the world and is sort of entangled in all these affairs, but does so in the most, still throughout all this, in the most innocent, loving and very spiritual way and matures a lot, like goes from just being this like very innocent child and monk student to somebody that is in a, a maturing spiritual force in that town in the world although he's not claiming any titles he's not claiming any importance he's always in the background always incredibly humble but he's a really powerful force that improves everyone that's in touch with him makes everybody's life better that knows him and through his sort of spiritual maturation there's a lot that as a reader you learn as he learns it and you learn by his example. And then it goes in the all these little sidetracks and side stories of all these little characters that pop up. Characters that at the beginning of the book might just seem like somebody that one of the brothers crossed or got into a bar fight with about some little thing. And then much later in the book, Dostoevsky goes into these little side streets and tells the story of the lives of these characters and they start playing a, a bigger role or adding some depth to the entire story. But yeah, it's... It's the kind of book that has so many layers, that has so much depth, so many little stories, so many touching moments that the moment you finish it, you could easily imagine starting from the beginning again and still getting sucked into the world and the stories and really have tremendous enjoyment. I'm curious to see if the second reading, how different that will be from the first one. You know, if it's going to be the kind of reading where you go, oh, now that you know the world, you start maybe picking up in the early parts of the book on these tendencies of characters, these little things that are happening that you missed. Because a lot of Dostoevsky in the world building first part, you're just trying to orient yourself. So you're missing a lot of detail on who said what to whom. You're like, I don't even know who all these people are. You're still trying to find your way around. So the second time, you know all these people, you know the world. So maybe you pick up on all these little things that he sets up in the beginning. I wonder if there's going to be parts that you go... I can't believe that this is in the book. I didn't notice this beautiful part at all. I'm really curious how the second reading holds up and how it differs from the very first one. But it's definitely the pop. I'm sure if I actually wrote them out, I have a ton of books that are in my top five, more than five books that are in my top five. But right now, it absolutely is like a book that's in the category, you have to read it before you die sort of book. Like this is too great. There's too much truth and art and beauty in this book to miss it to have lived your life without having read it so tremendous recommendation the brothers karamazov is masterpiece you remember where in the book maybe you first really got like wow this like you really got hooked was it directly from the beginning was it it didn't take as long as most of his other books so I was surprised by that. I thought, oh, this is going kind of smooth from the get-go. I think I started falling in love, which is fairly early in the beginning when they meet at the monastery to sort of get some counseling by Brother Zasimov. And you start seeing these scenes where this super wise old monk is interacting with all these different kinds of people. I think at that point I was thinking, wow, this is the way he writes this 
Father Zosima, Zosima? Now I'm like totally confused about the name, but the way he writes up that old monk was so wise. There was such wisdom and beauty in it that I thought, wow, this book is amazing. And it was only the big, it was very early on, but I think that scene and learning more about that old monk and how he was interacting with people, as I was reading that, I started falling in love with the book and I thought this book is very deep. How about you? Yeah. Same. Same, same, huh? Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The part is just gold, right? Yeah. He says some shit like the, and you mentioned this the other day in a private conversation we had, the part where he says, where the woman is like, I, you know, I'm not sure about the afterlife and I still have all these doubts and although I pray and blah, 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 and I still have all these fears and doubts and he tells her, how to get rid of all of her doubts by the experience of active love, by loving your neighbor so, you know, self-forgetfully and so fully that you, that your own self sort of fades in the background and all there is is an ever-increasing love you experience for your neighbors, for other people, for other things. If you do that, if you fully surrender to that, no doubt can exist. This has been tried. This is proven. This works. When I read these words, these words alone is worth the, the whole book. Like these words will never leave me. And you read that and you're like, the way also, you know, like when you read it within the whole story, the whole setting, you hear the old monk saying the words, it hits differently. It really penetrates deeply. But those words make me go, holy fucking shit. And I still think about these words all the time, all the time. 